Well, I think we have kind of gotten used to the news stories of the year being as strange as you might expect for 2020. Uh, that every news story, like, wait, so there's, was it the killer, um, what was it? the killer bees or the wasps, right? I think, and the hornets, yeah, the killer hornets. And, you know, them finding bubonic plague in Colorado that somebody caught. And just feels like every story is just like, really, another one? And one of the stories that caught my eye in the last month uh, was what's been happening with COVID in relationship to animals. Obviously, we are definitely considering and, and concerned for uh, all, of, uh, all of us, right? The, the, we have so much human uh, sickness and loss and death. Uh, but there was a story out of Denmark that uh, minks, kind of, you know, that cousin kind of to weasels and otters and, and you know, minks, uh, had caught COVID from humans, but it had mutated. And that's where the, you know, the little uncertainty and the little bit of fear kind of creeps in, uh, that there was a mutated gene of COVID in this mink population. And then the secondary concern was that that genetic modification, that, that kind of virus modification, had then spread back to humans. So humans had caught this mutated version from this mink population. And so all of these minks were like catching COVID, they were getting sick, and they had 1,200 uh, mink farms with outbreaks. And so uh, government in Denmark was very concerned. They were concerned about what if this kind of different branch were to spread and would that complicate uh, vaccine production, all of that. So they made the decision to cull all of their minks. And Cull is one of the words, we have so many words for death that we like to say instead of the plain sense of the word, uh, but they ordered the death of um, about 17 million mink, which is just hard to imagine. Um, but they saw such a potential for human problems that it was worth it from the, that government official's kind of standpoint uh, to just wipe out the mink population uh, and make sure that it doesn't spread any further. And so uh, there's actually been some kind of governmental response and kind of rejection and like, did they have the legal authority to do that? And so there's been kind of some political backlash in Denmark, but most of the farmers have kind of followed suit and have been eliminating their mink population. Something I didn't know before hearing that story was that Michigan is one of the top three states in the U.S. for mink, uh, that we have a lot of mink farms. It is Michigan, Utah, and Wisconsin. And so there have been 11 mink farms in the U.S. with COVID-19 outbreaks. Uh, the Michigan numbers weren't quite so precise. I'm, I'm assuming that means they weren't as high as Wisconsin and Utah. Uh, but uh, approximately 10,000 mink have died in Utah and 3,400 have died in Wisconsin. And it's not just mink, but we've learned all sorts of kind of animals that have caught viruses from us, and, uh, and we've caught those viruses from them. Um, but the U.S. Department of Agriculture uh, says that more than 50 types of animals, including tigers, lions, cats, and dogs, have contracted COVID within the country. And it's kind of startling to hear that and think about it, like because for most of us, we probably go about our daily life and don't think twice about well, I wonder how animals are doing in 2020. Uh, but it's been a hard year globally for all sorts of reasons. 
And we have to kind of make decisions about the treatments of our planet, of our animals, of you know, the things that are in our kind of responsibility. And so I was thinking about what is it to talk about God's kingdom, and we started the series talking about how it's more expansive than we thought because Jews and Gentiles as co-heirs, uh, and how hard that would have been in the first century to understand, and there's so much Christian infighting about, wait, do we follow this law or that, or how do we become a part of God's family? Uh, but God's kingdom kept being more expansive than we expected. And we have gone through this whole series, and probably no one was ever thinking, hey, I wonder how animals fit into this. Which just shows we are very human-centric people, right? Like, that's just a part of who we are. We think about ourselves, and then maybe we get to the point of, well, what else is there? And so today, I'm, I feel like this is kind of a concordance, a kind of overarching Bible picture of our relationship to animals, and, and the point of which is in part to help us to continue to expand our vision to realize uh, our individualistic, isolated, I'm by myself and it's just me and God, that kind of vision is so off from the Bible's vision of our relationship to our community, our relationship to the world and the land and the animals. And so I'm going to walk us through today uh, a picture of kind of that relationship between us and the created world. And of course, we start with Genesis 1, right? Uh, it's not necessarily every religion that has a monotheistic view of the one God creating all things, but in our faith, God created all of those other things you see around you. Uh, and so God has a care for that creation. And Genesis 1, sometimes I feel like we read Genesis 1 and say, oh, everything was good and we just think about ourselves. But we get that statement of God creating and looking out at the world and calling it good after each of these days. And so one of the days, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things. And maybe when it gets to creeping things, maybe we wouldn't call it as good. Maybe we struggle on that part of it. Uh, but the cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so, and God made the wild animals. And he called all that he had done that day good. And beyond that, he also created uh, the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, and, and he creates the hum human people also at the end of that week. And God blesses it all, and God gives responsibility to humans and says, hey, you have dominion over all of these living creatures. And he says to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. Everything he had made. Uh, there should be a part of us that wants to see all of creation and goodness and all things, and not just us alone. And we, I think, can see it in little ways, like we have animals, maybe you have pets that you love and you see it in that little spot, but, but we might struggle to see it in larger, in larger pictures, broader strokes. And one of my favorite stories in the Bible about caring for animals is in 2 Samuel 12, you might remember the prophet Nathan and his conversation to King David. Uh, King David had had adultery and the prophet comes to confront David. And Prophet Nathan comes up and he says, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and one poor. 
The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little lamb, which he had bought. So that poor man bought that one little lamb, and he brought it up, and he grew it up with his children, and he used to eat his little meager fare and drink from his cup. Uh, so like this lamb is eating from their, their table and drinking from his cups, and, and the, the lamb would lie with him, and it was like a daughter to him. And then there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was loath to take one of his own flocks to prepare for this traveler who had come in. So he took the poor man's lamb, and he prepared that for the guest who had come to him. And then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he had done this thing and because he had no pity. The assumption in the story is you can care and love for even the smallest little animal on this planet, and you've taken care of this animal like your own child, you've raised it up, and the audacity of some other person who's got flocks, who's got tons of things, to come and take your precious little lamb and to use that for the meal instead of one of your many flocks, of course David says, that's awful. Uh, you know, Punish this man. And then of course, famously Nathan says, you're the man. I was speaking metaphorically. You had anybody that you wanted and you've taken uh, Bathsheba uh, who, who was married. You've taken uh, Uriah's wife. Why, when, there's, when there's, there's people out there, why would you take uh, from this man? But like in this story, we sometimes always just jump like it does to talking about relationships, talking about human people. Uh, whereas the story was assuming a kind of human and creature dilemma, uh, but it jumps straight to just human things. Uh, but in the story, we are often the rich person. We are often the person who doesn't realize the value in every creature, who doesn't care for the man who has little, uh, who, who realizes, you know, we are the person that has been unjust and wrongfully takes things that aren't ours. Uh, the, the main biblical picture is that we have abused the land around us, that we've abused the creatures around us. Uh, it starts early on in Genesis. Adam and Eve and the garden, when God talks to Adam about the punishment for the sin that he had, God says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of this tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And you might kind of overlook it and be like, well, that seems unfair to the ground. What did the ground do here? Uh, but because you have done this thing, cursed is the ground because of you. And in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. So he's saying, because you have been sinful, the world isn't going to be as easy as it could be. I gave you a garden to cultivate, and now there's thorns and thistles and challenges. Part of living out judgment in this world is living out the consequences of what we've done. And, and so part of the consequences of what we've done is to not have a, the, the creation as good as God intends it to be. And uh, we struggle with the after effects of um, decisions we've made over time. And I think people long for wishing some of our parks or some of our lakes and some of our things looked as pristine or as clean as they used to be. Uh, and we kind of just have to reap the consequences of times where we have failed it. But it's not just Adam and Eve. When Cain kills Abel, you know, they're the, the children of Adam and Eve in the story. 
They go out to the field, and Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And that that injustice being crying out from the ground, that the ground was cursed because of Adam's sin, and now it's crying out because of uh, the sin of brothers, of murder, of death. And it goes on there and says, And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer of the earth. Uh, Genesis is trying to really hit home on your injustice, your sin, uh, alienates you from the land. Even the ground itself is calling out, looking for justice about what has happened here. And it's not just Genesis. Jeremiah has uh, a lot of beautiful passages on this front. Jeremiah 12 How long will the land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered? Because those who live in it are wicked, the animals and birds have perished. It will be made a wasteland, parched and desolate before me. The whole land will be laid waste because there is no one who cares. Isn't that a powerful phrasing? The the desolate land, why is it desolate? Uh, We've been wicked and there's no one who cares. Jeremiah also says, you have polluted the land with with your wickedness, therefore the showers have been withheld and the spring rain has not come. Uh, The Bible continues to give us images of what we do has an effect on those around us. It has an effect on our neighbors. It has an effect on the land, on the animals. Uh, In Isaiah, the earth dries up and withers, the world languishes and withers, the heavens languish together with the earth, The earth lies polluted under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed laws, violated statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. This one maybe might hit closer to home, and I'm not meaning to necessarily make a pun there, as you'll see. Isaiah 5, woe to you who add house to house, and join field to field till no one space is left and you live alone in the land. The Lord Almighty has declared in my hearing, surely the great houses will become desolate, the fine mansions left without occupants. A ten-acre vineyard will produce only a bath of wine and a home, a home seed of only just an ephah of grain. There's so many prophetic images about the consequences of our actions on the world around us. And the, the scripture is clear about not being okay with that, but we often want to make our faith about, well, can I just be personally okay and not care about my relationship to my neighbor, not care about my relationship to the land, to the animals around me? Uh, but the Bible is clear about the consequences of what we do, but also what we are called to do. How do we live good and just in this world? And so I'm always confused when we have so many Christians who act like, issues about our, our planet or our animals, like, like they shouldn't care about that thing. You know, where we have so many who just are dismissive and say, um, I think maybe just an escapist theology of everything's going to get burned up, we're going to just leave this world behind. And like we've said earlier in this sermon series, our Lord's prayer, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven, uh, that we should care about this present moment and this present place. And so there's a proverb in the Bible that says, the righteous care for the needs of their animals, but the kindest acts of the wicked are cruel. There's a, a great kind of litmus test there of how kind are you to even animals. That shows your righteousness uh, because if you're not willing to be kind to the least of these, uh, you're going down a path that will make it easier to be unjust. If you can be unjust in this sphere, you're going to be unjust in the next sphere. Here are the Sabbath laws. You know, it's not just wisdom of, hey, would you just take instruction that it is wise to care for the animals and the world around you? The Sabbath laws of Exodus 23 uh, and also just other kind of Ten Commandment type codes that it gives uh, care about animals. I, I love this, when we talked about loving your enemies uh, a few weeks back, hear this Exodus 23 command. When you come upon your enemy's ox or donkey who has gone astray, you shall bring it back. When you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden and you withhold back from setting it free, you must help to set it free. So even if you're like your neighbor, your enemy who, who hates you, you should be kind to their animals. So like, can you love your enemy and can you love your enemy so much that you would actually take care of and support, free the animal, take it back home when it's gone astray? You know, maybe you have a neighbor that really gets you. You see the dog posters on the, on the pole that says, hey, I've lost a dog. And instead of like buying into this hates or anger and being like, oh, I saw that dog, I'm not going to talk about it, or I'm not going to go catch it and help take it back to my neighbor who I'm really frustrated with. Like, no, you should go take care of that animal. Uh, go support even the smallest of creatures. It goes on and it says, six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. And we talk about remembering the Sabbath. Exodus 23 goes on, though, and says, you shall rest that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman, and the alien may be refreshed. That it's not just about you getting me to be refreshed, but even the animals in the fields get a day off, and that they need rest. And even those uh, who are servants, those who aren't free to live out their life the way that they might want to, uh, hey, rest for everybody. Because if it's just rest for you, it's not justice yet. And God's kingdom always is expanding to even the least of these. And so it is wise to care for animals. It is also lawful in the Bible to care for animals. And then we forget that God even makes covenants with animals. And when we think about, you know, you think Old Testament, New Testament, that's kind of a Latin phrasing for covenant language. So we talk about the new covenant in Christ. Uh, but there's also a lot of other earlier covenants in that Old Testament. Uh, but one of the covenants is from Noah, after they get off the ark. Uh, it says in Genesis, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you. This is God speaking. My covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So this rainbow imagery is not just for the humans of the story. It is meant to be a creation image. Uh, 
And it is a new creation moment. And God is saying, I am entering a relationship with you humans, with the animals, with all of the world, uh, that I will no longer send a flood this way. And so it's not just covenants in the past. Hosea and the prophets speak of covenants in the future. And they talk about a time when things might be different. And we get this kind of peaceable kingdom language where I feel like in churches we often talk about the lion and a lamb laying together. If you go try to search your Bible for that phrasing, you will not find it. Uh, there's the wolf and the lamb, several spots. Uh, but it is so like ingrained in us to say the lion and the lamb, and it sounds nice. I think it rolls off of our tongues. But this image of this peaceable kingdom of animals coming together in peace and humans being in peace with them, Hosea says it this way, On that day, says the Lord, I will make for you a covenant with the wild animals, the birds of the air, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. Uh, It's not just, it's not good, it's not God's kingdom fully until every part of that kingdom is living in justice and living in goodness. And so the covenant and that relationship is not just about us. And I know Sometimes people, when they think about animals and theology, they're often just wondering, like, will my dog go to heaven? You know, and again, it's just the kind of afterlife and just the escapist side of things. Uh, But you are actually right to care about the good and just outcome of the created world, of the animals, uh, that it is a good place to, to, and a biblical place, uh, to care about that there is a time uh, where even the animals are, are at peace. And the image that most sticks with me, I think, comes from Romans, where Paul is talking about all creation and the hope in Christ, right? Because we've caused so much harm, we've caused so much destruction, and the earth cries out because of our behavior. And Paul talks about the cosmic view of what happens in Christ. He says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. And I think that's so powerful, just pausing there. Like that all of the world is waiting. Humans, can you get it together? Like that the children of God being revealed, and being revealed not just like an announcement, but being lived out, that us being transformed into the way that God is transforming us into Uh, That isn't just about us, but that all creation might end up with the image that God is creating us into. Uh, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have been the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption and the redemption of our bodies. The whole world longs for healing. And today, I just want us to remember that, to be thankful for what God is doing globally. And to continue to let our brains and our eyes be expanded to realize that justice and goodness is always a little bit, needs to be a little bit more expansive than we expect. And when we talk about certain issues that are going on in the world, you're like, why do we got to talk about that issue? You know, that's, 
I'm not living that problem. Why do I care about that problem? You care about it because justice and goodness and love need to be lived out everywhere. And so each moment that we see some sort of injustice or problem is a place for God's transformation to happen. And so we should be people who long for all of creation to be transformed. And we know that it starts with us being transformed. Uh, We can't hope that it gets transformed without being willing to say, yes, God, use me, transform me, let me be a part of this kingdom that is uh, transforming the world into something new. And so I hope that when we are faced with questions and ethical dilemmas, when you see that animal wandering kind of in the Sabbath law, and I, I love how uh, the Exodus law often does case studies of when you happen upon an animal, when we happen upon an ethical dilemma, can we at least care about the rest of the world? Uh, because we so often will just care for ourselves, right? If it's always a question of, well, what's my bank account going to say? Uh, we tend to make decisions based on that. And at least as Christians, can we just think about what does this decision mean for other people on this planet, for other creatures on this planet? Uh, because we often want to just stay in our lane, keep our eyes closed from what happens elsewhere. And there's not always easy answers. There's not easy policies. Uh, and there's sometimes that things get easy criticism of, you know, when we talk about caring for the planet and recycling and things like that, like, is this one policy actually going to be enough or not? And, and people get frustrated over, you know, right, right now it's, I think it's probably plastic straws or not and things like that. But like, what are we caring about that makes this world better? Uh, we are reaping the fruit of what we've done. And we all now recognize the challenges of how do we make sure we have clean water? And when we have those dilemmas, let them be theological dilemmas for you, not just partisan politic issues or economic issues, but think about what is God calling me to do? How is God calling me to care for this world around me? Uh, And so in this season where we've talked about God's kingdom I think we're just inviting that process in every aspect of our lives of how do we not fall into the categories that people want to push us into and kind of divide us into, but as Christ, as our Lord, and as God, as our creator, how do we let God decide and speak into our decision process? Uh, Because there's plenty of people in the world who want commercials and uh, speeches and things like that to influence us, but How often are we going to let God's scripture and God's wisdom be what moves us in our decisions? And so I'm going to just close with this verse from 2 Chronicles 7. As we contemplate what is it to live in this creation. 2 Chronicles 7, verse 13 and 14. If people turn to God, God will forgive and heal the land. Would you pray with me? Lord, we know that sometimes these, when we talk globally, the challenge is like, well, what can I do? Uh, Lord, I ask that the new creation you're inviting us to be into, 
and to be transformed into and to be a part of that transformative work. Lord, I ask that you might invite us to that work uh, with a sense of courage and a sense of passion, but also a sense of kind of uh, energy that we might not grow weary at working for the world that you were creating. Uh, Lord, help us to be good neighbors, uh, good neighbors to our family, to our, uh, our, our friends, our, our co-workers, uh, the, the creatures outside our doors. Lord, I ask that you might make our hearts soft uh, and loving for all that you love, recognizing that you love, uh, you so loved the world that you sent your son. Lord, help us to have that love and that vision for everything. Lord, we thank you and let us be grateful for this, this world that you've, you've given us to be in. Let us be grateful for the beauty, uh, the beauty of a snowfall, uh, the beauty of, of leaves that change, uh, the wonderful comfort for so many of us who have, have pets and animals that we care for. Uh, Lord, help us to find gratitude and thankfulness for you and all that we meet in this world. Jesus, is in your name that we pray. Amen.